Hello and welcome to the Famous Five podcast, in which we share with you a Famous Five adventure written by Enid Blyton. Today's book is Five Go Adventuring Again. If you haven't read the book and you don't want to be subject to spoilers, please turn off now and come back when you've read it. Hi Jen, how are you? I am very good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not bad, thanks. It's been a fun month. Did you want to elaborate at all? No, I've been on a jolly holiday to Wales. To Kieran Island in Wales? Absolutely. My own version of Kieran Island with my own version of Timmy. Wonderful. And you are, of course, your own version of George. Absolutely. What more do you need? What more do you need? I've learned from you that even day trips can be considered holidays. So I've actually been on two holidays this month, which were day trips about an hour from my house to the beach. And I'm on a holiday now, sort of, because I'm house and cat sitting for my parents. So I'm in the house on my own petting cats all day long, which frankly is heaven. Sounds fantastic. It is. Although actually when I say petting cats, there are two cats, but I'm actually only petting one cat singular because the other cat, though very sweet and funny, she's not a big fan of uh, physical contact. But my parents rescued her from a shelter and they've only had her eight weeks. So I think in the future she'll be more OK with it. But at the moment she's in the stage where she likes to be with people, but she doesn't like the idea of you trying to come near her to pet her. One day. Well, you're going to have to keep us updated on her situation. I will. I will. I would love to. In the meantime, shall we dive into Five Go Adventuring again? Let's. Let's. Five Go Adventuring again. What happens in this one? It's the holidays, and whilst George can't seem to keep herself out of trouble, the others are busy looking for it. When they discover a mysterious clue at the farmhouse, they can't wait to solve it. But then Uncle Quentin's secret papers go missing at Kieran Cottage and a treasure hunt turns into a hunt for the thief. Can the Famous Five outwit their dangerous enemies and catch the criminals? Is that from the back of your book? Yeah. Because I'm reading, last time we read the same version of the book and obviously there are very, very many as this has been reprinted a lot of times. The back of mine says, well, actually, the first time I read it, I misread it. So I'll read you my misreading first and then I'll tell you what it really says. But I read it as the intrepid five, Julian, Dick and George and Timmy are determined to find out who it is. But without any proof, they're stumped. Then they discover a map and a secret hideaway. All of a sudden, things are falling into place. Which sounds very exciting, but I didn't really know what it was about. And then much later, when I looked at it again, I realised there's another sort of paragraph above it, but it's very small and I've missed it. And that says, there's a thief at Kieran Cottage. So that makes sense. We're looking, they're determined to find out who it is, because it was was very vague before. Anyway, this one's an exciting tale of theft and secret passages. It is. But there is a map involved which is always an important part of any adventure. And let's begin at the beginning. Let's! Chapter 1. The book begins at George and Anne's school. It's nearly the Christmas holidays. But Anne receives a letter from her mother saying that she's unwell. This means that George and Timmy can't go to Julian, Dick and Anne's house for the Christmas holidays. 
And there's also the news that the boys and George have to have a tutor because they've been ill during the term and George hasn't been to school before, which is, seems an odd thing as she's 11. I was confused about that too, but I noticed she says that she hasn't been to a proper school before and I wondered if maybe she'd been homeschooled or something before. Possibly, I suppose, but I would have thought that would have come up. Now, I know it's the 40s, but you still had to be in school, so I'm not sure how that's happened. Maybe there's a Kirin village school and it's just her and the fisherman boy, Alf. And, I mean, I don't know who teaches them. One of the local mermen. <laughs> there are people who live in Kirin. We just haven't met any of them yet, but we will. Oh, good. That's nice to know. And I would like to say that when they were going to London for the holidays originally, they were going to go to the circus and to see a show and it was going to be very exciting. But unfortunately, they aren't able to do that because mummy and daddy, well, mummy's ill and daddy's in quarantine. And if they were going to London to do all those things, would they have still had a tutor? That's my question. <gasps> oh my goodness. What if if they'd gone to London, they wouldn't have had to have a tutor? Which they would have thought would be more fun, but knowing what we know about this book, having a tutor was part of the adventure. Absolutely. Now, very early on, Anne recognises that she probably won't need a tutor. And she says, I expect I'll have quite a good report because I've done well in the exams. But it won't be any fun for me not doing lessons with you three. Though, of course, I could go off with Timothy, I suppose. He won't be doing lessons. Yes, he will, said George at once. She could not bear the idea of her beloved dog, Timothy, going off each morning with Anne, while she, George, sat and worked hard with Julian and Dick. I would feel the same way. I'm sorry, I'm with George on this. I would want my dog in the class with me rather than know that my cousin was off frolicking with him while I'm banging my head against the desk. And also, Anne's like, oh, how gloomy, I'm not going to have a tutor. I'm going to be all by myself and not work yeah. hard in the holidays. Mm, come on, Anne, book up a bit. I know, right? When I read that, actually, in the last book, as you know, I very much identified with Anne. But from this book, from the start, I didn't. And that was what started it off because I just thought, no, I would, I would have a tutor too, I'm sure. You can't be good at everything, can you? And she's just so, oh, well, I did so well. So now I'll just go off with Timmy. No, 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 Anne. No, no, yes, no. Yes, poor me that doesn't have to have a tutor. What? <laughs> <laughs> the girls take the train to London and then to Kirin. Uncle Quentin has been working very hard on his general never-defined science. But this means he won't be joining in with the Christmas things, which Anne is happy about. And we also meet the new cook, Joanna. Joanna, a new character. Very exciting. And also, and also, I suppose, an example of how the Kieran family are now better off financially and Aunt Fanny doesn't have to do all the cooking all the time. I think from then on, they always have a cook. I'm not sure if it's Joanna every single time, but it certainly is proof that they've gone up in the world financially. Yes. Uncle Quentin has test tubes now, too. I'm pretty sure he didn't have those in the last book. That was... That's... Up in the yes. world financially. And it's uh, important that he has test tubes. Very important. In the next chapter, Anne and George go to meet the boys off the train. And it turns out that George can drive a pony and trap. Well, was there ever any doubt? 
Oh, because she's so cool and efficient. But she does feel left out when the brothers and sister greet each other off the train. Yeah, poor thing. Because she's shy and she's... Because she's only spent that one holiday with Julian and Dick. And then she's been at school with Anne, so she's gotten to know Anne very well. But her and the boys, I can see how she'd feel as though maybe they aren't as good friends as they had been. You know, she's a bit worried about it. It's very sweet. She's very vulnerable in that scene, bless her. They talk about school and what they're going to miss out on because they're not going home. And the fact that they've got to have a tutor, which Uncle Quentin is employing at this moment in time. So it's got to be somebody who can work on short notice. Which is a bit suspicious, don't you think? Absolutely. George is already worried that the tutor won't like Timmy. And when Uncle Quentin returns, he tells them that they have to meet Mr. Rowland off the train. And um, actually, a little bit before that, there's just a section I'd like to read out, which is once the boys get back to the cottage, it says the children and Timothy went upstairs. It was such fun to be five again. They always counted Tim as one of themselves. He went everywhere with them and really seemed to understand every single word they said, which just warmed my heart. I I love Timmy. I love how he's part of the gang. I am very glad you brought that up because that was one of the reasons why I was never so much a fan of The Secret Seven because that was seven children and a dog, whereas The Famous Five was four children and a dog totalling five. Yeah, and I read Secret Seven when I was younger and I never really thought anything of how Scamper was just, you know, he was just the dog because I didn't have anything to compare it to. But now as an adult, I see they should have been the exciting eight. On the way to the station, the children pass Kieran Farm and George reveals that it used to belong to her family. They meet Mr. Rowland off the train. He's described as short and burly with a beard like a sailor. His eyes are piercing blue and his hair sprinkled with grey. The boys explain about George, as in she's not to be called Georgina. But Mr. Rowland seemed very unimpressed, especially when he finds out about Timmy And Timmy isn't keen on Mr. Rowland, even when he offers to shake hands. I do like when the boys are saying, oh, George and Anne are over with the pony and trap. And Mr. Rowland thinks that George is a boy for a minute. And they say, oh, no, she's a girl. Her name's Georgina, but she doesn't like it. And he says, oh, that's a very nice name, too. George doesn't think so, said Julian. (laughs) She won't answer if she's called Georgina. You'd better call her George, sir. Really, said Mr. Rowland in a rather chilly tone. I loved that little bit. There's so much fun, I've got to say, in reading children's books where there's a suggestion that someone's not quite what they seem and then they aren't. (laughs) It's all very clear. Yeah, I think if this had been written as a more progressive book, then the cook Joanna would probably have been the baddie. Yeah. Yeah, we might have thought that it was Mr. Rowland. But really, he just doesn't like girls who have boys' names or something. But then it's actually Joanna in the kitchen with the bread knife. (laughs) Timmy will have nothing to do with Mr. Rowland. And George was not prepared to like anyone who didn't like Timothy at first sight, which I think is fair enough. Yeah, good for George. I think, I, I firmly believe if somebody meets an animal who is usually very good-tempered and friendly like Timmy, and that animal takes an instant dislike to them, 
they are probably a villain or perhaps a ghost. But as we know, these aren't paranormal books. He's not a ghost, so he is a villain. Yeah, very much trust the dog and trust George as well. I know I've said it before, but I see a lot of myself in George, as in I know this person. I can see through this person and what they're doing. I know that they're not a nice person. Yeah, and George is so honest and straightforward that when... I know this happens a bit later, but when she sort of firmly decides that she doesn't like Mr. Rowland, I was a bit surprised that the other children just keep saying, oh, don't spoil Christmas, don't spoil Christmas, because, you know, you can trust her. She knows what's up. I think the children, because they've been raised to have good manners and to be quite proper, they don't want a row to be caused. So for them to dislike an adult would cause tension and it would upset other adults. And I think... They're not really children who will do that, whereas George definitely is, because she's that much more stubborn. Yes, and actually, I would be one of Julian, Dick or Anne saying, oh, don't ruin it, keep your temper, be good, you know, to to keep the peace. Mm -hmm. I've been George, you know, sometimes you're just so angry that you really don't care about the consequences at all. But for the most part, I would be saying, come on, don't ruin Christmas, let's just all be chummy. It doesn't matter that he doesn't like Timmy. Well, it does, but, you know. On finding that they don't have to do lessons that day, the children go to Kieran Farm. They meet Mr and Mrs Sanders, or Sanders, whichever you prefer. Mrs Sanders gives them shortbread and tells them how two artists from London town are staying over Christmas. Timmy chases the cat and knocks into the panelled wall and one of the panels disappears. Ooh, very exciting. Mrs. Sanders reveals that there are lots of exciting things like that in the house. They get a candle and look behind the panel and also talk about the cupboard in the room upstairs that has a false back. Julian declares it as a jolly good hiding place and they shut Dick in. This was probably my favourite quote of the book when Julian says a jolly good hiding place. and Dick says, I'll get in and you shut me up. It would be exciting. <laughs> yes, Dick. Yes, it would. Get in there. They will shut you up. <laughs> Love it. One of my favourites was when they ask if they will be able to go and look in the cupboard again. And Mr. Sanders says no, because that's where the artists are going to stay. And Julian says, shall you tell them about the sliding back, Mrs. Sanders? I don't expect so, said the old lady. It's only you children that get excited about things like that, bless you. Two grown-ups wouldn't think twice about it. How funny grown-ups are, said Anne, puzzled. I'm quite certain that I shall be thrilled to see a sliding panel or a trapdoor, even when I'm a hundred. And I agree. And I agree too, yes. Even age a hundred. I remember my friend lived in a farmhouse and one of the bedrooms had a staircase in it in the corner. And if you went down that staircase, you ended up coming through a kitchen cupboard, which blew my mind. That's amazing. Yeah, it really was awesome. Yeah, I I used to really enjoy reading Beatrix Potter stories when I was younger. And lots of those had a secret passage or a secret room. And that was that was really fun, mostly where the mice were living. Yeah, I've, I would love to go anywhere with a secret. Secret anything. I love secrets. For reasons unknown, Dick decides to go back to where the panel moved and stretches his arm in and finds an old book and a tobacco pouch with a piece of linen 
with a code of some sorts on it. Mrs Sanders says they can keep the linen. They realise how late they are and run back to Kieran Cottage. After dinner, the children look at the piece of linen. There's the sign of a compass with E for east, eight squares with one of them marked with a cross, and words in Latin. The children don't know who to ask for help. The main words Julian translates are via occulta, which means secret way. Just then, Mr Rowland asks them to go for a walk, but doesn't want Timmy to go. Boo! Anne, of course, nearly gives away the secret. Mr Rowland tries to be friends, but Timmy is having none of it, and he calls George Georgina. Now, Julian sticks up for George, but Mr Rowland really puts him in his place, and it even says Julian felt rather squashed. Quite soon after this, Julian says that he wants to be an artist, and mentions that he might speak to the artists at Kieran Farm, but Mr Rowland tells them not to disturb them, which makes Julian feel quite obstinate. Which is unusual for Julian. Yeah, yeah, but Mr. Rowland's a funny one because he's mostly nice to them, but then especially in this chapter, he does a few things that are a bit off. Yeah, he's so rude when he squashes Julian after Julian's just trying to be nice and he says, well, I hardly think I want your advice about any of my pupils. Well, sorry, Mr. Grumpy Gertz. Also, we see a good example of Peacekeeper Dick Mm. who speaks to George and says, you know, don't spoil Christmas. Yeah. And George says, I can't like anyone who doesn't like Tim. Good for you. And I would also like to say that I did like when Julian translates the phrase and then Anne gets really excited. Secret way, secret way. It reminded me of in the first book when they see the word ingots on the map and then they all love the word ingots. It was very sweet. (laughs) It's a good way of expressing excitement, isn't it? By just having them shout the words over and over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's brilliant. Now, I can't imagine waking up on one day of the Christmas holidays to realise that you'd have to have lessons. Oh, no. Turns out that all the children are weak in Latin and French, and Dick and George are very weak at maths, and Julian not so good at geometry. But, you know, Anne doesn't need any coaching. At all, ever, in anything. And so Mr Rowland says... I'll give you some painting to do, said Mr. Rowland, his blue eyes twinkling at her. He liked Anne. She was not so difficult and sulky like George. Anne loved painting. Oh, yes, she said happily. I'd love to do some painting. I can paint flowers, Mr. Rowland. I can paint you some red poppies and blue cornflowers out of my head. She's very giddy. Yeah, I think I didn't like this because even though she's actually being sweet and enthusiastic, because I, as the reader, know that Mr. Rowland is a bad man, It sort of bothers me that Mm. she's so nice to him. Um, And also I thought that painting was Julian's thing. Well, Anne loves painting too. Mm, Okay. So Timmy is hidden under the table, but unfortunately Mr. Rowland stretches his legs and kicks him by accident, and Timmy snaps at his ankles. Mr. Rowland and George come to heads, and George's temper flares up and has to take Timmy out. There's a lot of tension between George and the other children because they like Mr. Rowland and she doesn't. It's mentioned that Mr. Rowland is interested in Uncle Quentin's work. Later on, at the shops with Aunt Fanny, the children talk about what presents they will buy. And later, bossy Julian decides he will ask Mr. Rowland what the Latin means. Oh, I felt that that was a bit out of order. He should have discussed with everyone else first. But he says, oh yeah, I'm going to do it. And everyone's like, oh, are you sure? Are you sure? And, you know, George is an outright no and he still does it because he thinks it's best bossy julian just because you're the oldest we've not seen a lot of examples of that yet 
but it's certainly what he is kind of renowned for. In chapter 7, the children spend their time making Christmas cards, and Uncle Quentin doesn't want his study decorated because of all his top-secret experiments, obviously. Mr. Rowland just goes and digs up a tree, but there's no Christmas decorations in the house, so this makes me think that they've never celebrated Christmas. Yeah, I wondered about that. Or then, and then I thought, well, maybe they've just had really low-key Christmases without a tree. Or any decorations or anything at all. Oh, yeah, any decorations. Also, actually, I've just seen I was mistaken because when it says about Mr. Rowland digging up the Christmas tree, it's Dick who thinks, why don't we ask him if he can read the old linen rag? And Anne says, oh, yes, I'd love him to. He's wonderful. So actually, everybody's for it except George. Oh, I thought there was a bit where Julian says, "Yeah, I, I've decided." I think so too. I think in the chapter before, yeah, he says earlier, "Shall we ask him whether Via Coulter really does mean secret way or not tomorrow?" Said Julian to Dick. "I'm just longing to know if it does." And then Dick says, "I don't really quite know," and sort of talks him out of it. And then they decide not to. Mm. And then I suppose because Mister Rowland digs up the Christmas tree and decorates the house, then the three children feel even more warm towards him. And that's when they all agree, yes, let's get him in on the secret because he's such a good old bean. Mr. Rowland does keep getting digs in about George and the others seem to have opinions that go from one way to the other. And it's not until Christmas Eve when it actually states that Julian Dick and Anne had quite accepted the tutor now as a teacher and friend. In fact, everyone had, their uncle and aunt too, and even Joanna the cook. George, of course, was the only exception. They show the linen to Mr Rowland and he reads out the Latin and is very curious as to where it came from. And then they invite him to Kirin Farm. That, oh, I didn't like it when they did that because... They must know that if Mr. Rowland's going to go, then George won't. And come on, they are the famous five. I suppose it is a little bit tricky for them. They have only spent a couple of weeks with George before, but they were so good to her in the first story and understanding of her and her funny only child ways. But it seems like they're really torn this time. Yeah, actually, that's true. I hadn't thought about that before, that they have only spent the one summer holidays with her before, so it's not like they're a lifelong gang. Yeah, they and they they do find it difficult. And also, Mr. Rowland sort of pushes himself into the situations. He says, I'll come with you. And the children can't then say, oh, no, 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 you can't, because he's a grown-up and they're polite children. Absolutely, that's the thing. Mm. In Chapter 8, it's Christmas Day. I love it. The chapter opens with them getting out of bed excitedly and opening their presents. And the first child says, Oh, a railway station, just what I wanted. Who gave me this marvellous station? And the next child, who's obviously Anne, says, A new doll with eyes that shut. And when I read it, I thought, What are they going to get for the boy? who just likes to have a good think. What gift can you get him? And it isn't clear, but all I can do is assume that he got the book about aeroplanes. But that is decent of her, because then that means he has more things to think about. 
It also seems like he gets a pen knife from Mr. Rowland. Yes, you're right. He does, doesn't he? Because it says, look, Julian, a pocket knife with three blades. We also got a knife and a book. Those are actually great presents. Well done. And of course, Mr. Rowland is head over heels about Anne's beautiful card that she made him. He absolutely knows how to manipulate and play these three, doesn't he? He does, yes. Yes. Now, in the middle of the night, Timmy wakes George and alerts her that something is wrong. They go downstairs and Timmy leaps up at Mr. Rowland. He claims he heard a noise and came to investigate. Uncle Quentin takes Mr. Rowland's side and Timmy will be banished to the shed in future. Awful. And in a heartbreaking moment, George silently cries over Timmy. Oh, that got me right in the emotions. Yeah, that was that was terrible. Poor George. And poor Timmy in the winter and at Christmas to make him sleep outside. I know. Oh. But that's how you punish George, isn't it? Yeah. You're punishing Timmy. Yeah. In the next chapter, the children are going to Kieran Farm, but when George finds out that Mr. Rowland's going, she refuses to go. Mm-hmm. The others are torn, but they go without her. Now, it's essential that they go without her for the next bit of plot. Because the three of them are hunting in the farmhouse for the panels, and they meet the artists, Mr. Thomas and Mr. Wilton. When Mr. Rowland arrives at Kieran Farm, he asks to be introduced. And Anne does this because she's seen the way her mother does it. Yeah. Yes, she's a a good little lady, isn't she? (laughs) Full of manners. When they return home, George wants to know everything about Kieran Farm. And she tells them that when she was walking, she saw Mr. Rowland meet up with two men who sounded a lot like the artists. But this confuses everyone because he doesn't know them. Yeah, because she even says that she heard one of them call one of the other men Wilton. And she's a bit puzzled. And everybody else is a bit puzzled. It's all very puzzling. It is. There's a great bit where Mr. Rowland said that he was pleased to meet the artists. They seemed like nice fellows. George looked at the tutor. Could he possibly be telling untruths in such a truthful voice? And I like that a lot because George tells the truth. So it would be unusual for her to hear somebody lying in such a truthful way. Yes. We're up to chapter 10 and there's more lessons. Now, the others persuade George to be awfully, awfully good so that Mr. Rowland will let Timmy back in. And she is incredibly well behaved. Now, I recognise this as best behaviour because in my world there are occasions when I have to be on best behaviour. Mm-hmm. Not very often, you know, weddings, christenings alike. But yes, best behaviour. Best behaviour. And also, Mr. Rowland has done a bit more manipulation of the children by giving Anne the doll from the top of the Christmas tree. So he's really getting in with those kids. Mm-hmm. Later on, when Uncle Quentin asks Mr. Rowland, he gives an excellent report. But Mr. Rowland tells him Timmy should still be left outside and calls George spoilt to her own dad. Rude, very rude. And Anne says, oh, Mr. Rowland, you are horrid. Yeah, and then when Uncle Quentin agrees with it, the children are disgusted with him and think him weak and unkind, which I agree with. And to be honest, this is where, if I were one of the other children and not George, that would be it for me with Roland. Like, 
if I was somebody other than George, I'd be like, no, that's it. I'm not going to behave either. Yeah. Yeah, because it's so awful that he does that. Yeah. Yeah, that is horrible. That night, George sneaks Timmy into Uncle Quentin's study to rub his chest with oil because he's got a cough. This was so sweet. When she, oh, she rubs her dog down with the oil for coughs for people. And she says to him, don't cough now if you can help it, Tim. If you do, someone may hear you. Lie down here by the fire, darling, and get nice and warm. Your cold will soon be better. She's so sweet to Timmy. Oh, I loved that bit so much. She has to sneak Timmy back out before Joanna wakes up. And just a side note, in book one, there was no space for mother and daddy to stay over. But now there's George's room and the boy's room and a tutor's room and a housekeeper's room. I made a note of this too. And actually, I'd just written, so now it's a four bedroom cottage because Mr. Rowland has a bedroom. And then, of course, when you said it, I thought, well, yeah, where does Joanna live? So actually, they have a five bedroom cottage, I suppose, now. It's grown. Mm. They've had an extension done. <laughs> George tells Anne that she was in the study, but makes her promise not to tell. Ugh, don't trust Anne with anything. She can barely hold her water. In chapter 11, George has decided enough is enough. She recognises Mr Rowland isn't going to let Timmy back in at all. And even though the others try to encourage her not to spoil the holidays, which, to be fair, are already pretty spoiled anyway, because you're doing lessons in the days after Christmas before New Year, where nobody really knows what on earth goes on. Yeah, true. That is always a funny time, isn't it? And George doesn't go to lessons. She really is one of the four who will not do things just to keep the peace. I like it when she doesn't go to lessons. I think, Me too. Like, yeah, George. And then she has the good sense to go completely out and not just be out in the garden with Timmy so they can't come and get her back in. Later on, Uncle Quentin bursts in furiously asking who has been in his study. Some of his experiments in the test tubes are broken and three pages of his notebooks are missing. Anne has gone red and Mr Rowland knows that she knows something but good old Anne refuses to tell. Then the bottle of camphor oil is found and Anne goes red again. Julian really sticks up for his sister to all the grown-ups. Lessons are cancelled due to this ruckus and the three children slip out for a walk without Mr Rowland to catch up with George and tell her. And I'd like to also say it's not a secret that I'm not a fan of Uncle Quentin, but when he says he, you know, he's irritated because his things have gone missing and he knows that Anne knows something about it, and he says, How can a man work when these upsets go on? I was always against having children in the house. Ugh Of course he was. But one of those children is yours. Yeah, well, maybe he always wanted George to live in a kennel in the garden as well. Children get blamed for everything, but that's one of the running themes in children's books anyway. It is, yeah, of course, because otherwise how can they be our superheroes? Here's a bit of Julian being a hero. Still, Anne said nothing, her eyes filled with tears. Julian squeezed her arm. Don't bother Anne, he said to the grown-ups. If she thinks she can't tell you, she's got some very good reason. I think she's shielding George, said Mr. Rowland. Is that it, Anne? Anne burst into tears. Julian put his arm round his little sister and spoke again to the three grown-ups. Don't bother Anne. Can't you see she's upset? Go, Julian. Yeah. Good job, Julian. It's hard to do that to grown-ups. Especially like your aunt and uncle. 
Yeah, yeah. Chapter 12. The children have caught up with George and very nobly she marches off to face her punishment rather than putting it off any longer. And in a brilliant moment, she refuses to answer any of Mr. Rowland's questions, only her father's. Yeah, and for all of Uncle Quentin's faults, he does believe her and he believes that she's telling him the truth, which is good. But George does remind him that if Timmy had been in the house, he'd have caught the thief, which is true. True story. So as George sits in the study, she sees a stone floor and eight wooden panels, but she can't do anything because her father returns to tell her that she must go to bed for the rest of the day, which isn't so bad for me. But she can't see Timmy for three days, which is oh, the worst. It's a lifetime for not seeing Timmy. But as she lies in bed, she puts all the pieces together and suspects Mr. Rowland. <gasps> Scandalous. Chapter 13. Poor Timmy. He doesn't understand why he's in the snow. And there's some very sweet... Why didn't George come to him? Didn't she love him anymore? Oh, it breaks your heart. I know, poor little thing. Julian is in charge of looking after Timmy. And then he slips up the stairs to see George, who tells him about her theory. She wants to search Mr. Rowland's room, but Julian is dead against it. And she's quite adamant she's going to do it until Julian agrees to follow Mr. Rowland to see where he goes and put on a white coat so he's camouflaged in the snow. Excellent. Does that work? I don't know. (laughs) I'm not sure. Julian sees Mr. Rowland talking to the artists and handing over what looks like papers. Ooh. When he returns, Julian wants to fill in the others and requests to go to bed. Yeah. Now, it was only about eight o'clock, so if you need to be sent to bed, you've got to yawn in front of Aunt Fanny. Yep. Dick yawns widely, and so did Anne. Aunt Fanny, in an instance, got her sewing down. Ooh, I think you'd all better go to bed. Yawn radar that Aunt Fanny yeah. has. She doesn't even have to be in the same room, and she knows if you're yawning, it's bedtime. She does. She does. She knows when tired children have to go to bed. Then Julian reveals what he saw, and they reason the artist would not be able to get away in the snow, and George tells them the secret way could be in the study. They decide to meet again at midnight and check out if it's there. Spooky midnight. And it's only eight o'clock, so they've got a long time to sit and think. Well, they do, don't they? Luckily for Anne, she falls asleep, good girl. Although luckily for the rest of them, they don't all fall asleep. No, that's true. In the study, the children find the secret way. They press the panel and it slides back to reveal a handle which makes the floor move. They pull up the rug and there is the secret way. They want to explore, but Julian suggests they just look. The children looked at one another in the greatest joy and excitement. This was an adventure, a real adventure. They have to scarper when they hear Mr. Rowland on the stairs and Julian is the one who gets caught. But he pretends he's heard a noise. Clever. When they wake up, the snow is so deep, but luckily, Joanna has rescued Timmy and is keeping him in the warm kitchen. Yeah, because George goes outside to grab him inside thinking he's been buried in snow. And then Joanna says, It's all right, I couldn't bear the dog out there in the snow, so I fetched him in, poor thing. Your mother says I can have him in the kitchen, but you're not to come and see him. Good old Joanna. 
Good old Joanna, proving an ally in your first appearance. Luckily, Mr. Rowland is in bed with a cold, so no lessons, but the children say that they will do lessons anyway to avoid shoveling and also to explore the secret way. The secret way eventually leads to Kieran Farmhouse and clever old Anne recognises that they'll be in the same place as the stolen notebooks. Julian says they can search the room and George says... You said that searching people's rooms was a shocking thing to do. Yes, you did, Julian. Well, I didn't know then all that I know now, said Julian. We're doing this for your father, and maybe for our country too, if his secret formula is valuable. We've got to set our wits to work now, and to outwit dangerous enemies. So he's changed his mind about searching people's rooms. Oh, he's also gone a bit sort of military on us, protecting the country, but that's okay. For king and country. Yes. Great God for Harry, England and St George. They have to climb up the wall to get into the cupboard with the false back to get into the room to search for the papers. It gets very tense and close to them being caught as they hear the men's voices. Yes, that was very thrilling because they've locked the doors so that no one can bust in on them. But then the men come to go up to their rooms and discover the locked doors and they know that somebody's in there. And also... And chooses that exact moment to pick up a heavy vase and drop it a bit and slop water everywhere. So the men outside know that there is somebody in the room. Yeah, a little bit of bad luck there for Anne. Yeah, just a little. They hurry and eventually, at the very last second, George finds the notes in the overcoat. Yeah, she has the good thought that they... That the men might have just left their documents in the coats they were wearing when they went out to collect them. Good one, George. Very clever. They get down into the secret way, but the men follow. (gasps) Anne has to sort of be dragged through the secret way. Yes. She's sort of given up now. I know. (laughs) Poor thing. Even though, would you not be driven by fear of being caught by the men? What does she think? She's just going to lag about and then they'll catch up to her and be like, oh, we'll help you. But anyway. Yeah. The boys boys drag her down. George and Timmy threaten the men. Timmy is fierce and scary and the men turn tail and run as the children get back to the study. Aunt Fanny catches them. Dick and George pass the papers over and Quentin identifies them as his papers. George is too tired to explain, so Julian explains to the grown-ups and they lock Mr Rowland in his room, who can't work out what's going on, which is puzzling because surely there'd only be one reason why... Yeah, maybe he's one of those people that's so arrogant that he doesn't think that he could ever be caught. And actually, oh, it says yes. it says that he wonders, has George locked up her parents and she and Timmy are just roaming the house freely? So he he doesn't really know what's up. Of course, he couldn't possibly think that his brilliant plan was discovered. The so-called artists turn up in the study, ready to be arrested by the police, who arrive on skis. Wonderful and okay. (laughs) They're all kept in Kieran Cottage, but with enough food. And they're kept under house arrest for two days. That's always an important point in these books, that when you keep someone captive, you make sure they have enough food. But the policemen do handcuff them in the room so that they can't escape. And then yeah, I, guess... I was wondering what if there was a window or something. Yeah, do they ski back to the station or do they ski back to their homes? 
I, it doesn't say I wouldn't like to hazard a guess. <laughs> they ski there. Wonderful. Wonderful. And the police eventually take away Mr. Rowland and the others with the children watching. And they say, you were right and we were wrong, George, said Julian. You were fierce, weren't you? But it's a jolly good thing you were. She is fierce, isn't she? said Dick, giving the girl a sudden hug. But I rather like her when she's fierce, don't you, Julian? Oh, George, we do have marvellous adventures with you. I wonder if we'll have any more. They will. There isn't a doubt about that. The end. Good story. Very fun. And guess what? There will be another one. I've got two clips to play for you. As spoken about on the first podcast, there were two television dramas, one in the 70s, one in the 90s, based on the Famous Five. If you'd like to hear more about those, go and listen to episode one. You can also go to our website, we'll give you the address later, and you can see all of the credits in full there. Wonderful. In these clips, I've chosen the moment when the children work out what via occulta actually means. The episode from 1978 is very different to the book. It's not Christmas. They have a tutor because the boys have scholarship exams and George has had the measles. Mr. Rowland is already at the house when Julian, Dick and Anne arrive and there isn't the animosity between him and George until Timmy pounces on him for the first time. It's condensed into 25 minutes, it's modernised to the 70s, so the artists become photographers, and Mr. Rowland has to photograph Uncle Quentin's plans, etc. The episode is directed by Don Lever and adapted by Richard Carpenter. This clip features the usual five and Peter Dennis as Mr. Rowland. Leah, occulta. That's Latin, I think. I gave up Latin. So did we, worse luck. I know someone who will be able to read it, though. Via occulta. Oh, well, that means a secret way. Secret way? Solum lapidum, uh, pares lignus, uh, cellular. Uh, well? Well, it's something to do with a room facing east, wooden panels and a stone floor. Oh, and a cupboard. Those squares represent the wooden panels. And the one with the cross is the one you press to find the secret way. Can we go to the farm this afternoon? No. You've got maths this afternoon, and you've got an English composition to write after that. What about tomorrow, then? You could come too, Mr. Rowland. Hmm. Depends on how hard you work today. Right. Let's go back to French irregular verb, shall we? Oh. It's interesting that George is the one that recognises Mr. Rowland will be able to read it. Yeah, it's a big change, isn't it, from the book? Because in this, they're all chummy. But as you said, there's no animosity between Mr. Rowland and George and Timmy until later. But I still think, I don't know. I didn't really like that straight away they had an adult help them because I like it when they do things for themselves. Absolutely. The 1990s episode is very true to the book, uses lots of original lines. Again, it isn't Christmas, but in both cases the series were filmed across the summer and I'm guessing no one really had the budget for it. There, Mr. Rowland is a lot older. He's played by Vernon Dopchev. This episode was directed by Tony Kish and adapted by Julia Jones. It looks like Latin, but it's so faint. You're good at languages, Dick. Not Latin. I've only done that for one term. Hang on. I can read that. 
via a coulter, I think. That means, uh, something hidden. But hold on, via means a road or way, doesn't it? Yes. Gosh, a secret way? We must find someone who can read the rest. It may tell us where the way is. We could ask Mr. Rowland. Maybe he... No. Ask Mr. Rowland what? Uh, uh... Oh, yes, we were just wondering whether you'd like to come for a walk, Mr. Rowland. Oh, splendid idea. What have you got there, Georgina? Come on, Timmy! Oh, must that dog come with us? Of course. We never go anywhere without Timmy. Is he? Well, then I suppose we must try to get them together. Stupid animal. Now, what can you expect from such an ugly mongrel? He's not ugly, and he's clever, and he's much nicer than you. I don't allow my pupils to be rude, Georgina. This one's a bit more in with how I think of Mr. Rowland as a character in the book, when he says, oh, well, I suppose I must try with Timmy, and offers him a biscuit, which Timmy doesn't want, and then he says, stupid dog. Rude and villainous. If anybody called my dog stupid, they wouldn't be long for this world. Also, I've offered a dog a treat before, which it's turned its nose up at. Or, better yet, given them a treat and they've taken it and then spat it out. But usually I just find it funny and a bit charming. I don't shout at dogs that they're stupid. They're allowed to like or not like a biscuit. Goodness, Mr. Rowland. You all right, Jen? I'm fine. I'd Same as you, I don't like people calling dog stupid dog and not in such a mean voice no and we know he's not a stupid dog he's one of the cleverest dogs that ever existed in literature yes this is true finally in 1997 there was a famous five musical the musical first appeared at the king's head theater in london in 1996 and it was written by john hogg and stephanie crawford and directed by dan crawford the story loosely followed Five Go Adventuring again, but it also had a lot of Five on a Treasure Island because it was the story of the five meeting for the first time. There were three teams of children, and one team that included the future S Club 7 and West End star John Lee made it to the video and now DVD recording. So you can actually buy this to watch. I haven't been able to find a version online it's a very sweet musical. It's quite simple and low budget. And it went on tour in 1997. It's nice that there's a Famous Five musical. I feel like that combines two of your favourite things, Famous Five and musical. Agreed. So what have we learnt from Five Go Adventuring again? In a flip reverse of the last book, if you need to be sent to bed, then do yawn in front of Aunt Fanny. And if you don't need a tutor because you're just great at school, then while other people are learning, you can just paint beautiful flowers inside your head. <laughs> and trust George and trust Timmy. Yes, yes, always. Who was your hero of the book this time? I actually think there can only be one hero, and that's Timmy. Oh. Do you disagree? Well, no, I... Don't, but I'll tell you what I wrote down as I was reading it. So, first of all, I put Dick because he finds the hidden alcove at Kieran Farm, which, you know, sort of sparks the adventures. And then later I wrote George because she takes such good care of Timmy when he has a cold. But I think you're right overall, Timmy is the hero because he does so much wonderful stuff. And he has to go and live outside, but he still, he stays strong. 
Well, he stops Mr. Roland the first time because mm-hmm. I imagine that time when he jumped on Roland on Christmas night, that was when Roland was attempting the theft. Yeah. So he actually stopped him once and he technically he found the uh, hidden panel because... Oh, because he was chasing a cat. Yeah. And he stopped the two baddie artists from getting the children in the secret way. He was good, wasn't he? Yeah. And do you remember last book when we pointed out that Dick was a hero and also he was the only one with a chapter named after him? But in this book, when I started, I was excited to see that George, Julian and Tim all have a chapter with their name in it. And then there's another one. Chapter 10 is called A Shock for George and Tim. So they actually both have two mentions in chapter titles this time around. Very exciting. So chalk one up for Timmy. He's the hero of the second book. He is. Yep. Dick one, Timmy one, everybody else. Keep on trying. We've got 19 more books to go. So what can we expect next time in the next book and on the next podcast? We can expect a planned stay on Kieran Island and we're going to meet the Sticks. I have no idea what that means, so I look forward to finding out. I look forward to you finding it out. Finally, if you'd like to join in with us on social media, we've got a Twitter, which is at Famous5Pod. We've got a website which you can find at www.famous5pod.wordpress.com. And if you'd like to send us an email, maybe tell us which team you're on. As you know, I am Team George. Last book, I thought I was Team Anne, but this time around, I was Team Dick. And that address is famous5pod at gmail.com. If you'd like to subscribe and write us a review on iTunes that would be fantastic or if you know anybody that's or if you know anybody that loves the famous five please let them know so they can listen too we would greatly appreciate those things so until next time thank you so much for listening to the famous five podcast and please join us next month for more adventures goodbye <laughs>